We are in the book of Exodus, chapter 25. It has been such a wonderful week of digging in and watching what the Lord has in store for us. But I have to tell you, it's been a real week of soul searching, and I do this a lot. Spring gets to be usually the worst of those times or the best of them, and all just depends on how you want to look at it. But a lot of it is in regards to not are we doing what we're doing well, is this church a good church? Is it a healthy church? Is it just best? And, and, and asking those questions become a lot rougher because I want to make sure that I'm taking it to the Lord and I'm, and I'm asking that dangerous question, so what? Okay, so we have these Bible studies, so what? Are they making any difference? So we're going out on the streets, so what? Is it making a difference? Is it pleasing the Lord? Is it in obedience and current obedience, for that matter, to Him? And as we dig into our text today, <clears throat> I'm real excited about where the Lord is leading us on it, but I, I want to warn you like I would any week, please don't just believe me. <clears throat> don't, <clears throat> don't just assume it's true because I say so. <clears throat> Excuse me, it's going to be a rough week. But uh, don't just believe me, search the scriptures, let the Bible have the final say. Let the Bible be your final authority. We're in Exodus 25. We pick it up in verse 31. Read along with me if you would, please. <clears throat> you shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be a, of hammered work. Its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs and flowers shall be of one piece. And six branches shall come out from its sides. Three branches of the lamp stand on one side. Three branches of the lamp stand out on the other side. <clears throat> three bowls shall be made like almond blossoms on one branch with an ornamental knob and a flower. Three bowls shall be like almond blossoms on the other branch with an ornamental knob and a flower. And for the six branches that come out of the lamp stand, <clears throat> on the lamp stand itself, and that's speaking of the shaft in the middle, Excuse me. Four bowls shall be made like almond blossoms, each with its ornamental knob and flower. And there shall be a knob under the first two branches of the same, a knob under the second two branches of the same, and a knob under the third two branches of the same. According to the six branches that extend from the lampstand, their knobs and their branches shall be of one piece. All of it shall be hammered piece of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it. And they shall arrange the lamps so that they give light in front of it. And its wick trimmers and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made of talent of pure gold with all of these utensils. And see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for the blessing of being able to sit into this beautiful, warm building for however long you have us here at this building. And we praise you for the blessing of being able to come to you today. To approach your throne of grace and need. To trust that you are the God who knows everything. Loves your children. And you give us these beautiful and precious promises that if we would come to you, we would never thirst. If we would believe in you, we would never hunger. If we would be in you, that we would have abundant life. That in your presence is the fullness of joy. And we want to live that way. We don't want to just know those things. We want to know those things in our hearts. 
We want to be able to live them out. That we'd be so radically different from the world around us. That we couldn't, that we'd be amazed at ourselves at what you do through us. You've told us, Lord, in Philippians 2.13, that it is you who works within us to will to do and to do for your good pleasure. So, Lord, even today, do so. Freshly immerse me in your Holy Spirit that I would disappear and freshly come upon me in such a way that you would speak to every one of us individually, speak fluent us, that each one of us would hear you and encounter you in your word today. Overcome every language barrier, every culture barrier, every barrier. And speak and minister to us now, we pray. I pray we would have so much fun in your word now. As you seek, Lord, to minister to your saints, bless them, I pray. Truly minister as you desire. I give you myself, I'm your jersey. Put me on and do amazing things, we pray. Redeem every second. Save, equip, challenge, exhort. And Lord, be with my throat, which seems to be being a little nasty at the moment. But Lord, I trust you. It's all yours. Do your work, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Sitting with this text this week, it's been a real fun thing to, to look at it and see where the Lord has been since we've started with the ark. This particular chapter, I remind you now, we've been at least three months out of Egypt. The Lord has shown himself as provider with manna, with, with, with meat, quail that hovered over the ground. He's given us water from a rock. He's done things that have been undeniably miraculous. He's led us by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. This is one time where you just, you could never say, I wonder where God is. He's so clear. And there you are, you're out of your bondage. You're not exactly in the land that he's called you in, but you're out of your bondage. You're out of the hand of the enemy, though you may not realize it. And if you had lived your whole life in slavery, just even watching Pharaoh and his army drowned in front of you does not necessarily mean you feel free. You are free, but that doesn't mean you feel free. And that's a really big thing. But see, the Lord didn't deliver you so you could simply be free in the wilderness. He didn't deliver you. Please hear me. He didn't just deliver you so you could be nice and not go to hell. The Lord has delivered you first and foremost to be with Him. That's the whole point of this. Jesus created you. You were created through Christ to be with Him. That's the whole point of your creation is to be with Him. Everything else is the product of it. But please understand, you can't be with Jesus and not be changed. You can't be with Jesus and not be transformed. Scripture makes clear something, and it's a really kind of a powerful testimony. Listen to these verses. In in Psalm 115, verse 4, and you'll find it again in 135, verses 15 through 18. But listen, the idols are of silver of gold. They have works of men's hands. They have mouths, but they can't speak. Eyes, they can't see. Ears that don't hear. Noses they have, but they don't smell. They have hands that can't handle. They feet, but they can't walk. Nor can they utter from their throats. And those who make them become like them, or are like them. So is everyone who trusts in Him. God makes something really clear to us, and that is you become like what you worship. And as you go before the Lord, He starts to make you more like Him. But please understand something. This is what I'm battling with now in my own walk right now. Because as I start to look at what it means to be more like Jesus... It's so much different than looking just mature as the world would call it, or even in the Christian world, what the Christian world might call mature. 
it seems to me like if we were to look at you like a project, and I don't mean this to be curt or anything, I'm just trying to be as blank and as simple and as honest and bare as possible. And now we're representing the church of God in mass. You were to say, if people were a task, what would be their task? What would be your task for them? You kind of get the idea. If we were honest, it would be if you were unsaved to get you to Jesus so you could get saved and not go to hell. And then once you did get you plugged into a church. And then you're like, and then what? <coughs> Excuse me. And you're like, no, what? Then then what? What? And it seems like that's the end of the road. I mean, for some people, you're saved and that's it. I mean, that's as far as you get. And then there are people like, okay, let's get you plugged into church. And then what happens is we all come together on something like this. And as we all come together on something like this, we're all sitting here and we're, we're like opening up our Bibles and we're going to sing. And, I mean, and sooner or later, if you go to a church long enough, maybe you know a few of the songs. So you won't have to stare at the screen, but you will anyways because it's habit now. But you can close your eyes a little bit and sing. <laughs> you may not even think about what you're singing, but you know it well enough you could sing it and lose yourself in it even if you were singing something that may be goofy. But you know it, so you can feel it. And then we, okay, we kind of know. If it's a Calvary, it's even easier. You kind of know where we're going to be the next week. We left off at the last place in, in Exodus 25, and now we pick it up again. But then what? Then we leave here and we go back to life. And someone comes and says, where do you live? Oh, you live in London. That's a dark place. And we go, yeah, that's a dark place. Y'all need to pray for me because it's a dark place. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get how that makes us look more like Jesus. I mean, honestly. I don't get how 10 years from now if we did this like this, and this is all we did, this would be good enough for me and for Jesus. But we would be cool with it because, to be honest, if we were like, well, we're in the Word so we know more, we're safe because the teaching is ascribing the text, so we feel safe in it. We know the pastor loves us. If I, if I was really having a meltdown, I feel like I could call him, and I know he cares. Yeah, but what part of that made you more like Jesus? And I've got to be honest, in this struggle in my own life, I, I know there's got to be more. I know there's got to be more than us just doing this. Because in the days when church started, we were running for our lives. I mean, to say yes to Jesus meant something. Now, for most of you, to be honest, it really doesn't cost much to be a Christian. Maybe a curt look. Now, some of you, I know that that's been a greater test. But when David says, when offered the threshing floor of Arnon to build the temple, to build the temple on, and the guy offers it to him for free, he says one of the hardest things for me to read in Scripture when he says, I will not give to God that which costs me nothing. And I have to ask myself, when was the last time my Christianity really cost me anything? Okay, I got up a little earlier to pray. That was, that was a, I mean, that's my sacrifice to God. And I, I read a little bit more. I studied a little harder. I went to a midweek service. But it was cold out when I had to get on the bus and get off it and walk the block. And that's it. And I, I, I just want you to know, I ask for your prayers, but not just for me, but for you, because I get this idea that if what our mission here was more than just get you saved and then get you comfortable in your salvation, but to make us more like Jesus, we're going to be really a dangerous thing and not very much long from here. I mean, we're, we're not going to be able to handle the lost around us in a way that we could walk by quietly. 
we're not going to be able to tolerate the sin among ourselves. And we will be able to tolerate the personality differences that we have. And I think it's going to be really different. But I know that's what the Lord wants. And you know what's going to happen? There's going to be like one person sitting down and the rest of everybody else doing things. We're going to come to Sunday mornings or Sunday afternoon service with the idea that every one of us is going to serve. Now, I'm not saying that as a rebuke, because to be honest, if you're doing what you're doing right now, it's more than likely my fault to some degree. Because the paradigm is something that I know that we've set up. But I know God's got more than that. And it'll be more, please, this is where it starts, though, is among yourselves. I don't know if you know that. I mean, scripturally, we, we kind of get the idea in the culture, what we should be out is sharing with the lost, and surely we should be. But do you realize, when you look at all of the spiritual gifts listed in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12, how many of them are actually to the lost? There's evangelism, maybe prophecy, and that's it. Everything else is to the saved. I mean, even in a safe environment like this, we're afraid to minister to each other, and that's, that's scary. But you know why? Because it hasn't cost us anything. And if it hasn't cost us anything, then it's cheap, and we don't value it like we should. Now, if that sounds like some kind of polemic, please forgive me if necessary, but as we get into this text, I have to look at it from that perspective now. I mean, especially when we see what it is. But please understand, here's where this thing starts with me. I look and I see God. He says, now I want to be with you. Set up a tabernacle, a thing so that the entire rest of the world could look and say, that's where my people are. Do you want in? That's the idea. It wasn't just a place where we kind of monastically hid in a cave so that no one could get at us. It was a place where we so celebrated God that we became magnetic. That was the idea. That what we did was vocal, <coughs> excuse me, it was mobile, so that when the, <coughs> excuse me, when the world came around us, <coughs> that, that there was this, we'll see it later, there's this sort of almost transparent linen film that's between us and them with a single gate that you can enter into. That's right, the first thing you have to deal with is the sacrifice. And... And the world would hear us celebrating and say, how do I get in there? Well, that's what I want. See, I, I not only want it for me, I want it for us. And I don't just want it for us, I want it for the entire church of Jesus Christ. And I don't care whether it's liturgical or Pentecostal, whether it's black gospel or white whatever. I mean, in the end of it all, I just want us to love Jesus and look like him. Because somehow down the, down the line, I think the world thinks we should, and they have a right to. So he says, make me a tabernacle that I would dwell among them. It's the beginning of the chapter. And he goes, let's start right away with the ark. Let's get that handled. And as we get that ark handled, and, and Nay, will you, will you please um, flash up <clears throat> one of those pictures? I want to kind of give you an idea here a little bit of what we're looking at as we start to build this tabernacle. Because as this tabernacle starts to get built, this is what we're looking at. And that's actually a fairly decent drawing, to be honest with you. It's a good drawing because I feel like it's fair, and it isn't just trying to be crazy. There are these two rooms. In the first room, this room right here, if you see this, is called the Kiddush Kiddushim, which means the Holy of Holies. And there's really only one piece of furniture in there, and there's only one person. It's, it's one piece of furniture that only one person can sit on. That's how small the, the furniture is. And the only person that can sit on it is God himself. And that seat is called the mercy seat. And that's this right here. Then there's this curtain, and that curtain would go all the way across, and there'll be three pieces of furniture here. This lamp stand, there is this, t- this altar of incense, and the table of showbread. Now we've gone through these two items, this item and this item. 
so far. Now, interesting, as we go through the next one, which is this one right here, this lampstand, interestingly enough, the next thing he goes to is not this piece right here. And I think that's a little strange, don't you think? Why didn't he cover every piece of furniture in there before he moves to the next thing? Because the next thing will actually be the tent itself. And then go to the next one, if you would. <clears throat> this is what that inside, this is the holy place, the holy of holies where the ark is, is back there. Um, then he'll go to that tent, and then after the tent he'll go to the courtyard. And I go, well, that's kind of strange, but I know this. God doesn't just randomly pick things, right? And so as I'm looking at it, I'm going, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's think this through for a second. After you're with me, what does he start? Well, he goes to this, well, make me this table of showbread. That's the first thing, right? And then after the table of showbread, the next thing is this lampstand, right? And then this, and then I go, no, wait a minute. By the time I get to chapter 32, and in chapter 32, it will actually be where Moses is done. He's gone down the mountain. And ultimately, they're going to deal with the whole issue of the, them dancing around the calf. And there are basically seven items. And then I realized something. Back in Exodus chapter 3, and flip there for a moment if you would. It's this cool little, this cool little thing we get on. In, in Exodus chapter 3, God is calling Moses. Go ahead and get there. <coughs> Thank you. In Exodus chapter 3, God is calling Moses to ministry. And as God is calling Moses to ministry, Moses has a couple of legitimate questions. Well, one is, well, who in the world are you that's sending me? And God's response is in verse 14. Look at it with me. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, you kind of get the idea that, now let's just say, what if it were you? Rodrigue is out and he's tending his sheep. And as he's tending a sheep, one kind of gets away and he goes over to this bush that's on fuego. It's on fire, but it's not being consumed. The, the thing about it being on fire doesn't seem to really catch him because he's in the middle of the wilderness. It gets a little hot there in the sun. The amazing thing is that the fire's happening, but nothing's getting burnt up. And as that's the case, then he goes over and the bush starts speaking with him and tells him to take off his sandals. And that is a little bit strange because it's probably about 40-something out. And you're out in the sand... It takes an act of faith for you to take off. I mean, it's hot enough that a bush is on fire in front of you and God tells you to take your socks and shoes off. Which one of you thinks that's a great idea? But he does. And then he says, all right, Ludwig, I'm actually calling you to Paris. I mean, you were there once. You were in France once. I'm going to call you back there. And I want you to go and speak with the leaders there. And I want you to tell them it's time for the people to go and give their life back to the living God. Good luck with that. And you go, okay. Can I have a little more information? Who is it that's sending me? And he says, I am. When you go, you are. And I love how God does that. And it's classic Hebrew, the way that a person learns. Hebraic teaching is, and Jesus will say it in Matthew 9, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Two and a half chapters later, when they come back, he says, if you had learned what it meant, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would have been condemned the innocent. That's the way they taught. And God does the same thing. You are who? That's an exodus, we get that. Do you know where we get the answer? Does anyone know? The Gospel of John. Because in the Gospel of John, uniquely, presenting Jesus as God, we have <coughs> seven 
count them seven distinct I am statements. And those are the ones where, because again, you're asking God, well, who are you that sent me? In John 6, 33, <coughs> sorry, 35, and in, um, also in verse 48 and 51, he says, I'm the bread of life. Then in 8, 12 and in 9, 5, I'm the light of the world. I'm doing them in order. Third chapter 10, verse 9, I'm the door. Verse, same chapter 11, verses 11 and 14, I'm the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. Chapter 11, verse 25, I'm the resurrection and the life. Some of you have heard these before. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And then the last of them, John 15, verses 1 and 5, I am the true vine. Seven statements. And the first of those was, I am the bread of life. The second, I am the light of the world. The third, I'm the gate, the door to the sheep. Interesting. On this particular text, the first thing that God got us to, do you remember what it was? It was table of showbread. The second one that we look at today, the lampstand. Listen, I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. Then he'll get us to the tent, and he'll say, I'm the gate to the sheep. Then he'll get us to the courtyard with the altar of sacrifice, and he says, I'm the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. Do you get it? And it's crazy because of the seven things that God's going to give us getting our way there. Every one of them is going to point us to the I am's of Jesus and John. And I go, hello, there we go. And then I go, okay, that's cool. But then I ask, so what? So we have some cool information about, again, about how Scripture points us to Jesus. Is it going to change me? Is it going to change you? Maybe make us a little bit more confident that Scripture is united, you know, is united but we already got that. But there's got to be more. I mean, because he could have just said, make me a lampstand any way you want to. Boom, bada, boom, bada, bing. Make sure it's light and we're done. But he doesn't. He gets into this really ornate detail. Have you noticed this? I mean, knobs and flowers and almond blossoms and bowls and a stem. <laughs> and I look at all of this and I think, well, that's an awful lot of detail. But then I started taking a look at it and I realized every bit of this makes sense, especially when I get to what Jesus tells us. So follow me on this short little rabbit trail. Now that I've led you on a long one. And then we'll actually develop this text, but we, I'd like to do it in light of what the Lord would want here. Listen, first of all, in regards to light, we're aware of the fact you were not created to dwell in, light, in darkness. Matter of fact, nothing is created to exist in darkness. That's why the first thing that God makes is light. I think that that's important. Before God creates anything else in the universe, light was fundamental for everything else to function. Even water doesn't function correctly in darkness. I find that interesting. Now, with all of that said... God promises that this light, that there would be a specific light that the entire world would be able to draw from. Isaiah 9-2, Isaiah 42-6, Isaiah 49-6 will give you as a light to the world, to the Gentiles. Isaiah 51-4, a light to the people. Micah 7, verse 8, that the Lord will be a light to me. Jesus has made such a promise, or at least has been made of him in the book of Luke, chapter 2, verse 32. When it says that he would be a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to his people, Israel. God had promised that the one who would come, this Messiah, this anointed one, would be the light of the world. 
Now, without light, <clears throat> we bump into everything. We're a danger to ourselves. We realize why our toes were really invented. Our toes were invented, of course, to find furniture in the dark. You're aware of that, right? And so you hear that sound in the middle of the night. Well, let's face it. Have you ever had a child that was afraid of the light? Excuse me, could you turn off those lights? It's making me scared. You tend not to find that. See, Janae, she doesn't want to let you know. She's still scared of the dark. <coughs> There's something about darkness that they still use in ominous ways. You never see the horror film. The light. Da, 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 da. Beware of the light. Come into the light. And the light turns on. Everyone's like, ah! You don't see it. But it's like darkness, on the other hand. There's all kinds of movies about darkness. We kind of inherently know that. And there's something about this that I kind of get the idea. And yet, in the midst of it, the moment that it gets even somewhat dark, the moment it even gets somewhat dark, things become less defined. You can turn the lights down so low, it will be even hard to distinguish the difference between Nathaniel and Shirley. But it doesn't take much light for you to be able to go, that one's probably Nathaniel. But the more that the light gets turned up, the more everything gets more defined. Everything gets more defined. Even the things you don't want defined get more defined. I can't read in limited light. My eyes are not very good anyways. And they even say in Scripture, what happens? Your eyes get dim. Oh, I should love that. I have dim eyes. I'm like Leia, right? There's something about it. But the, I'm just like, but I can sit outside and I can read because the light really, brighter light definitely helps. Now, interesting, because when Jesus then takes a group of people who were paralyzed and possessed and powerless, and then they are transformed in front of him in Matthew, the end of Matthew 4, and then he turns to them and says, you're blessed now. That's who you are now. You're blessed. You're blessed. You're blessed. You're blessed. And then he says, well, can I reintroduce myself? Well, actually, he says something else about them. He says, you're the light of the world. Now, listen. Jesus will make clear twice in the Gospel of John, he's the light of the world. So how exactly are you the light of the world if he's the light of the world? Well, that's quite simple, isn't it? This is the Lord, and this is you. It's fairly simple. Now, follow me on this for a second. Light will always win over darkness. It tells us in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, light shone in the darkness, and literally the darkness could not get a handle on it. It's a wrestling term. Couldn't even grab a hold of it. Tried. Couldn't. You don't have like a flash dark, you know? Like, oh, this is too bright, and you, like, that's, ooh, good, it's dimmer now. Things are better, right? You can't do that, because darkness will never overcome light. Listen, darkness will never overcome light. If you have a bright light and you walk into a room, it's not dark anymore. Did you get that? Listen, if you have a bright light and you walk into a room, it's not dark anymore, right? So, Canada, that's a dark place. Now it's not. Did you get that? Oh, Hackney, that's a dark place. Now it's not. Do you get that? Don't buy the lie for a second that any place is a dark place if you're there. Not because you are. Look at All you are is a lampstand. 
but the one who is the light of the world dwells inside of you. I love the fact we get to minister in Camden because it's the one place that as British people look at me as an American and go, what do you think you're doing here, Mr. Hotshot? And they say, hey, you're planning a church. What kind of church are you planning? I'm like, well, where is it? I'm like, Camden. They're like, oh, okay, well, that's okay. They need that then. And you're like, well, okay, well, great. And then you know what they all say? Even the people who don't know the Lord, that's a dark place. And I'll look him straight in the face and go, not anymore. How can it be? Not a light, the light of the world dwells inside of me. Are you with me on this? If you go there, it ain't dark. So, you know, it's like, that's why we don't sing, When I stumble in the darkness. That's a song for unbelievers. That line is, How can a light stumble in darkness? Well, there is one option here. And I want to bring this to it. And believe it or not, we are going to develop the text. But, but follow me on this for a second. Because I realize something as I look at this. Listen to these verses. Three different verses. And mark these down so you don't have to just try to believe me. Matthew 5.15, when Jesus talks about us being a light, He says, they don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. And Mark 4.21, they say, they don't light a lamp and put it under a bed. Well, it'll warm up the bed for a small period of time. In Luke eleven thirty three, it says that you don't light a lamp and put it in a secret place. And can I just say, there's your choice. Now listen, lights. Listen, lights. When you take two lights and you put them together, what happens? It gets brighter, doesn't it? It doesn't get darker. It isn't like, you know, real lights should not be competing. I'm brighter. I mean, in the end of it all, can you imagine? Well, check me out. I'm a lampstand. Oh, yeah. And you're like, yeah, you're a lampstand. Congratulations. Suzanne, since you're the lady of the house, will you do this, please? Okay. Isn't that awesome? My wife doesn't know how to use a lighter. I love that. Oh, now we have it on film. All right. Or at least on tape. Just hold that now. You know what's so great about having a frontline ministry? There's always somebody in your fellowship with a lighter. All right, anyways, um, and it wasn't me. I, I didn't, well, anyways, it doesn't matter. Listen. <laughs> They're glued. Yeah. Okay, now listen. Okay. Oh. That's okay, I'll, I'll do okay. It burned your finger. I'm so sorry. Ladies, will you pray for her? She burned her finger. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. You know, if you're like kind that are actually intimidated by organized religion, we'll be no threat to you. Okay. I'm um, yeah, here. I'll let you do the other three. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Well, not because I want you to do it well. I want you to overcome it. Get back on that thing. You're doing awesome. It's like dinner and a show. Okay. Now listen, listen, friends. A basket. A basket's what you carry stuff in. That's simple, right? You don't have to be brilliant to know that. basket's what you carry stuff in. It's your load. A bed is what you rest on. And a secret place is where you hide things. What's important? Thank you very much. Okay, now please, please follow me on this. Please follow me on this. You're a light. You're a light. 
But you can try to stick it under things. You can try to stick it under a bushel. You know what that looks like to me? I'll tell you what that looks like. I've got a lot on right now. I could be a light, but I've got a lot on. There's a lot on my shoulders right now. There's a lot in my bushel. And you're hiding your light in your bushel. Now look at it. It doesn't say you're the light bulb of the world where there's a switch. You're going to burn one way or another. The issue is whether it's going to be of benefit. Do you hear the difference? Mm-hmm. Now, this isn't like, well, we're going to go out and go witnessing from 7 to 8. I'm telling you that God has called you to be light 24-7. You sleep as a light. You wake as a light. You breathe as a light. You eat as a light. You walk as a light. You sit on a bus as a light. And you go, well, how is that? I never told you how. God doesn't even say that. Just be it. Love Jesus. Stay in him. Cling to him. And watch what happens. There are people that say, you know what? I've noticed you on the bus. And I'm like, that's scary to start with that. I want you to recognize. I've noticed you on the bus. Like once a week I see you on the bus, but you're always smiling. Well, there's a really nice place to start. And I tell you, those conversations, my wife will tell you, those conversations happen here. And it wasn't like, I'm just going to go witness. And here's my witness. Ready? (laughs) Because people know when you're playing it. But you can say, but you know what? Watch, this is what happens. Hmm, I got a bushel full. Mm. Right, you know it, right? And all of a sudden, you just hid your light. And, there's a, and people say, it's a dark world out there. I'm like, no, it's not. Because I'm busy hiding my, what? <clears throat> Here's the second one. You think that one was fun. Hide it under your bed. You know what that is? Can I just say it? We're just lazy. The Lord has called us to stuff, and you're like, oh. you know, I have to change buses for that. Could you imagine telling one of those guys in India that rides his bike for 40, for like literally for 60 miles, for 100 kilometers, sorry, you've got to take a second bus? The best thing that ever happened. And when we have a friend that's in India, he goes, he's a pastor of six churches. So you think, when well, we had four services, and people go, isn't that rough? And I'm like, I think of this guy, and I'm thinking this guy, and he like travels over 200 kilometers every Sunday from church to church. And the best thing that ever happened to him is he got a bike. Ching, 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 ching. And it's like, you know, and this, is, this guy isn't like driving on pavement. It's like I watched him pull up and he's like this. Woo! So happy to be here. You know, and I look at him and I was amazed because I thought, man, I'd have thrown up halfway down. You know, like, because it's like the whole road is like, you know. I was like, we're, and it's like, and it's like this guy's like, oh, we're gonna have our church service, and then I'm gonna go to the next church service, and he just loves Jesus. Like, I don't know if I can be like today. I'm too busy laying on my bed. You know, the Bible says not to love sleep. Any of you hate that verse? You know, do you remember when you were a kid? Because there was a time when like taking a nap was punishment, and then we got older. And it was like, you're rewarded. Go take a nap. Thank you. <laughs> Some of you are like, still young, and you're like, I don't get it. Oh, you will. <laughs> right? Hide it under a bed. Hide it under a secret place. Hide it in a secret place. In that place where it's like, oh, I've got other things I hold really important. And those things that I hold really important, I can't let anyone know because of their sin. Pornography. It's a secret relationship. It's money. And I just got to have more of it. 
I just got to be important. It's all of these things that we have hidden. And what happens is we try, to, we try to tuck the light away because if I was actually a full-on Christian, I wouldn't get that job. I wouldn't have that date. I wouldn't. And God's like, so why exactly would you want it if you're going to have to do that to get it? And then somehow you think, oh, I'll just compromise here and then get this, and then I'll get back on fire with the Lord. If you had to do that to get it, how are you going to keep it? That'd be like saying, well, you know, I could have that car if I cut off my arm. But don't worry, I'll just stick it back on once I get the car again. It doesn't work like that. But can I give you a promise God gave you? Because if that's you today, and you're buried under the bushel, and you're buried under the bed, and you're burying it in the secret place, you're smoldering. But Jesus promised us that a bruised reed wouldn't break off, and a smoldering flax he wouldn't quench. Do you know why? Because you are the light of the world, not a light. Is it cocky to say that Christians are the only light this world has? There are fake lights out there. You could screw them in, they look like a light bulb, they just don't work anymore. In the tabernacle, How many lights are there in this tent? How many? Just this. Remember the last thing was the table of showbread? How are you going to see the showbread if this isn't lit? How are you going to get from one side to the other if this isn't lit? This is the only light. Once you walk through this, this doorway, which by the way is right here, once you walk through this doorway, how are you going to get to any of these things without this being lit. How are you going to get back here as the high priest to the place where God promises to dwell between the cherubim if you can't get through here, if you can't see? Flash to the next slide, would you please, Nay? I want to give you, this is why it's made the way it is. The, way, the reason this is developed, and we're going to, no, believe it or not, because the text will go relatively quick, but I do want to develop some things in it. This is at the Arch of Titus. We've been there in Rome, commemorating Titus' destruction of the temple in 70 AD, carved onto the walls. As it's carved onto the walls then, what you see is these various things that were taken. Doesn't this look like a movie camera? Anyways, yeah, well, that just shows you how advanced they were back then. What are these things? Can you tell? They're trumpets. They're the silver trumpets that were taken. So this then is commemorated. So they get this thing and they look and they go, hmm, well, that must be what the lampstand looked like. Because we have the, what we have here in our text. We'll see it again in chapter 37. But this is our only physical description we have in regards to something that's an image based. So people go, well, that must be what it looks like. Now, did, need I remind you that there is in Jerusalem... A group of people who are seeking to recreate all of the articles for the new temple, which Scripture says there will be one because the Antichrist has a stand in it. (laughs) It kind of gives you a warm fuzzy, doesn't it, thinking about that? I had a friend, we have a friend who actually, well, associate, that was actually working on the menorah. And menorah, by the way, all that is is the Hebrew word for lampstand. And he was actually working on it. He used to work for Disney, him and his brother, um, as modelers. And 
not models. It isn't like they were like, well, I'll be Gaston. You know, it's like, but it's the guys that draw, the, you know, the build things, 3D models. And with that, he was working on it. And he, this is a Jewish guy. And he actually he got freaked out. It overwhelmed him. He's like, this was just way too spooky. But they still built it. And this is what it looks like today. Next slide, please. This is actually there. That's, see if you can look. We're in the old city. That's the steps down. If you ever go on one of those trips with us, we'll walk right by this. Now, they'll tell you that this is made of pure gold. The problem is it's infinitely taller than you saw before. And we know that there's some problems with gold. For instance, it's not as strong as it is. It's heavier than it is strong. How do these stay up? We should never just doing that, doesn't it? Well, because God did it through his Holy Spirit. And he knows what he's, he knows what he's doing. But this is their way out of it. They'll tell you that in the inside of this is brass. But brass is basically nothing. Huh, that's interesting. Because if you actually took a brass pipe and hit someone in the head with it, and said, I just hit you with nothing, they would have a problem with it. But just the same, but it's gold-plated. And that's kind of how they got away with it. But if you can see, they've kind of got their little, you know, their, we'll see your knobs and your decorative things. You're of knobs and your circles and your buds and your flowers and your almond blossoms. So we're going to take a look at that in our text, but at least I wanted you to kind of see that that exists today um, because they're ready to stick all of that in the temple that doesn't exist yet. Okay. Now, I know that we've really spent a lot of time preparing for the text, but the text is going to be a little bit more technical. But I want you to, just giving us this as a preparation, it makes you want to read this a little bit more with you in mind, doesn't it? And that's my hope. Because you understand, this isn't intended to be you. This is intended to be us. Did you get that? Now listen, six is for whatever purpose, if you'd like, I mean, don't believe me on any of this stuff, but basically, so you know, I challenge you to look. Seven will be often a number used of Gentiles. Six will be a number used of man. Interesting, there will be six that come out of it for what it's worth. <coughs> look at it with me now. Let's dive into our text, shall we? You shall also make a lampstand of pure gold. What's the first thing we know about this lampstand? Okay, yeah, go, hey, go with half of that. What's the first thing we know of this lampstand? Yeah, it's going to be made. Right. How is it going to be made? Okay. Well, that's what it's made of. Well, how is it going to be made? It's going to have to get beat. It's going to be one piece, one piece that gets beat. And as it gets beat, it gets beat into shape. Now, the gold doesn't beat the gold. You don't say, I'm going to give life to the gold. This is God talking. He could have done this. He could have said, you guys are going to love this. Watch what I do with this gold. I'm just going to, because, you know, Aaron's going to try to pull that, right? We just threw a bunch of rings into the fire and out came this, you know, golden calf, right? I mean, he's going to try to play that. But God doesn't say, I'm going to animate the gold and it's going to beat itself. He says, that's your job. You're going to beat the gold. And as you beat the gold, well, you're not going to. Somebody I specifically ordained for the purpose, someone I specifically ordained for the purpose, that's going to be filled with my spirit, is going to, <coughs> excuse me, is going to beat the gold to look like this. That's going to beat the gold to be a lamp. But what is it made of? The first word. It's pure. Don't miss that. God's going to make this of something pure. Now listen, I don't know how you came in here, but I know how you can leave. 
No, I don't mean that like, all right, there's the door. What I mean is, I said, yeah, hi, be warmed and filled. Get out. All right. Now, now listen, no matter how you came in, as a drug addict, as a sleaze, as a desperate individual, as overbearing, covered in the filth of this world, covered in the shame of your choices, covered in the regret of your past, the moment you come to Jesus Christ, he washes you. And this is something I know about Jesus. He does nothing partially. Have you noticed that? If he does it, he does it completely. You're pure now. You're pure now. It's over. It's over. You don't have to take it with you anymore. And this is why God has such a problem with you trying to get your reality, your identity from your tombstone. Who are you? I'm an ex. Well, you were. Now you're a new creation. I don't look at you and see who you were. I'm so thankful. Most of you, I don't know who you were. Some of you, you've helped me to know. But it's still who you were, but it's not who you are. Listen to this. John tells us in 1 John, it has not even been made clear what will be, but we know this. When we see him, we'll be like him because we'll see him for who he is or as he is. Listen to this next part. And anyone who has this hope in him, listen, listen, is as pure as he is pure. As pure as Jesus, the guy who never sinned. Yeah. 1 John says just Hoping for that. God gives you the credit. You just became a virgin again. You just became innocent again. All that stuff that happened to you, whether at your choice or not, it's over. But if you know that you are that pure now, would you want to run back into that? Is that license to say, I just get peered up again? Really? We used to play American football. And as we played American football, I was a wide receiver. I was the guy that ran out and caught the ball. Which usually means I was one of the bigger lunatics because that's the guy that gets hit a lot. Which, back in that point in my life, before I knew the Lord, I actually enjoyed, weird as that is. And we played in places, by the way, where you got ran into things. Pine trees. I mean, things that were sappy. You know, it would get really muddy. And then it would be partially frozen. And if it was zero or higher degrees, zero Fahrenheit or more, we were in shorts. That's just the way we were. We were lunatic. We're aware of that. And, you know, there were times where somewhere in the middle of it, someone would do something crazy like go get food for us in the middle of it. That's probably their way of actually defrosting because they were standing there not running around. So they're like, oh, I'm going to get you food and look nice. So we'd stop. Now look it. You went, if you went and you've been playing for a while, and I would be the guy, I mean, they did run me into a tree, so I'd have pine needles sticking out of my head, and I'd have sap on my arms, and then you've got mud and stuff, and it's like chicken feathers. There like, wasn't a chicken in the world in the first sight, but I had feathers on me. You know? And I'd come out, and I'd come like, looking for something that like, would stand in front of like, one of those restaurants holding a sign, right? Come in and buy it, you know, whatever. I looked like, one of, I looked like I had been tarred and feathered. And then you go and you eat a little bit. You know just the way you look. You're going back in the game. 
Because you're like, well, why not? I'm already messed up. Look at me. I mean, what do I got to lose now? Actually, I think my blood is finally clotted. This is a good time to get back out there. But if you went and you went and you took a shower and you were like, oh, that was it. You were totally clean. Getting back out there is a little rougher now, right? Because you're like, no, I actually smell good now. I don't smell like him anymore, right? Whatever. It's like, and you get the idea that that's the way the enemy would love for you to believe that you're still covered in your shame, still in your dirt. And you're like, you know, that was 40 years ago. That was 10 years ago. That was when you were seven. Now, I'm not in any way making less of what happened to you. But I am saying, listen, when you came to Christ, he washed you clean and you are a pure lump now. But here's the crazy part. You're only part of it. So am I. And the Lord takes us and he goes, and you're like, hey, 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 I'm a Christian now. Shouldn't I be mollycoddled and hugged? God goes, but I'm making you into something useful. But just, and you know what we do? We say, could you make me that gently, please? Now, it doesn't say, massage the gold into shape. Don't worry. We'll just, oh, this is going to be good. Just, oh, here it comes. Oh, nice. That will, because you know what happens? The moment that happens, the moment you put something on, it's like, and down it goes. The Lord has, in your life, hammers planned. And that might be rough times at times. It will be the loss of things. It will be the addition of things you wouldn't ask for. But that doesn't make him bad. He's just carving you and pounding you into shape. And here's the great thing. We're all pounded from the same lump, friends. Now, you might be on a different one of these than me, but we still have the same purpose. So we got the Baptists, and we got the Pentecostals, and we got. And the end of all, does it matter if we grow and say we're growing more like Christ? And what we've done is we've learned how to to put, categorize everybody so that we only fellowship with our own type. I don't think we look like Jesus anymore. When you sit and someone goes, "Well, you know those guys, those crazy guys," I'm like, "Hey, look at if that's the way you think of them, where you couldn't love on them, then this is this is messed up." I mean, look at those disciples. I mean, could you really think now, do you think, I'm kind of going that Peter probably would have been Pentecostal if he had the chance. I would definitely think that John and James would. Called on fire hour! I mean, that's kind of James and John's motif, right? I mean, imagine what Thomas's church would be. The Church of the Apologetics, maybe. It's like, well, I'm not really sure. We're going to go and check some dusty stuff. I mean, I mean, the reason I say that is they were very, very, very different people. So that God could say, if they got along, and they should, I mean, you got a guy who's a zealot. That's a guy who hates Rome, who would hate anything that has to do with Rome. And you've got a tax collector who sold out Judaism for Rome. And you put those two guys in the same room? How do they, I mean, we never read anywhere that either one of them tried to kill the other. I would have expected it. And when Jesus says, one of you will betray me, I would have thought, Peter, sure it's going to be. Because you said, get behind me, Satan, to Peter, I'm sure it's him. Right? We wouldn't, and the reason I say that is, is if God could put those guys together, couldn't he put us together like that? Now look at we've got a little bit of ground to cover now. Of course, you can expect it to be like this, right? But it starts with this. We're from the same lump, beloved. As are the others. If they love Jesus Christ, when Jesus is the thing, well then we're from the same lump. 
Now, that doesn't mean that we have to spend all of our time singing Kumbaya and holding hands, but it does mean we should respect our brothers and our sisters, even if they do things differently. As long as they do them for Jesus and they do them according to his word, there's, there's room on the dance floor for both. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, well, we're like, we're like the strippers for Christ, and we're the, you know, I'm like, I mean, there's places where you're like, okay, this ain't working. But if it's biblical, it's biblical. Now, look at it's shaft. We have these terms. It's shaft, it's branches, it's bowls, it's ornamental knobs. When was the last time you ever used that term in, you know, hey, by the way, we're looking for ornamental knobs. Oh, I love those guys. They're just a bunch of ornamental knobs. What's interesting is, I'm going to walk through these fairly quickly, but listen, it starts with the shaft. That's this thing in the middle here, right? Interesting. That particular word, and I'm going to ask you to repeat a few words for me in, in Hebrew. The word is yerek. Could you say yerek? Yedek, interesting, because this word's been used before. The first few terms are going to be used before. Yedek, by the way, was used three different times. It was used of Abraham when he was really old, and he had the, his oldest, Eliezer, his oldest servant come in, and he goes, put your hand under my thigh. And you go, ooh, that's a little weird. And he makes an oath. Because he goes, now I want you to go, and my son's got a whole new life to start. Go find him a bride. It's also the term that's going to be used, by the way, in Genesis 32, when, Abe, when um, Jacob is wrestling with the angel, and it touches the shank, it touches the part of his hip, the term there is the same word, yerek. For which then, he says, now I'm going to change your name. And then the third time, by the way, was actually with a boy named Joseph. What we'll find is that all of those terms that have a history all have Joseph in common. And then with Joseph, he actually has to go and put his hand under his dad's thigh. And the idea of it's quite simple. The idea is that I put my hands underneath you as an oath. You're not doing anything really weird. You're just putting your hand under the leg and you're saying, okay, look it. I'm under you. My, my mission is under, you, under your supervision. And he says, look it. And his dad says, make an oath with me that you'll, pick, you'll take me back to the land God promised after I die. Because I'll probably die in Egypt. That's where we are. But hey, make sure that I come back here afterwards. And Joseph will make sure of it ultimately. The people, when they go into the land of Israel, you'll see it in Joshua, they will actually take these bones with them. Now follow me on this. What they all have in common is this, an oath. The oath in the first one was a new life. Get a bride for my boy. The second one was the oath in which God gave Jacob the name Israel. And the third was that God promised that new land that they weren't in yet. Can I say this is where it starts, beloved? It starts that God's got a plan for you. And his plan is a new life a new name, and a new land, a new place to live, a new life to live. That's where it starts. And it starts with the gift of Jesus Christ. And this is the thing from which every branch stems. If you aren't attached to that, you ain't attached. You're not part of the lampstand. Have you claimed, and I'm not talking about in any weird way, have you claimed the promise of Christ when he died for you so he could give you new life? to wash you clean from your sins, rose again to be the Lord of you, to give you a whole new name, a name that says innocent, a name that says mine. Have you taken that? In the new land that he's promised you. Second, then are the branches. There are six of those you see that are here now. The term is kana. Did you say kana? Now the term kana, by the way, is that which rises up from the shaft. By the way, we'll see it in Genesis 41, when Joseph has the dream about... <coughs> About the shafts that rise up, like the, and they ultimately bow down to his. 
That's the term, the idea of these things, that, these reeds that rise up and stand up strong because God has risen them up. That's the second thing. Interestingly enough, because if I were to look at those terms from Scripture, when we see things like where Jesus says, I'm the branch, or what Jeremiah or Zechariah says is the branch, it's not the same term. Because those branches shoot from something. But the term that's used is the term that I would see when I get to John 15, when Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. That's the same term as the idea here. And the idea is that this would be Jesus and this would be us. We have to stay attached to Him. But the promise is if I stay, if I cling to Christ, if I cling on to Him, I rise up with Him. And that's the idea. And it isn't just that I'm buried with Christ and that promise of a new life like the shaft, but now I raise up like one of those branches as I cling to Him and I raise up to a newness of life. And that's what God promised. If I'm going to be a light, there's a new life installed for me here, in store for me. Then comes the bowls as the third thing. Now, interesting, this term has only really been used once here, the term Nevai, and the term comes from Genesis 44 when Joseph's cup was buried in Benjamin's sack, if you remember that. And the cup, by the way, was the cup that Joseph would have used to demonstrate his authority. Every king had his own cup. Remember how there's a cup bearer for your king? <laughs> he was the guy that drank from the king's cup so that he could drink safely from it. And I realized the authority that comes from it. Listen. This shaft spoke of an oath, a promise of a whole new life. These promises, this is where we cling to Christ and rise up, and then with that, God gives us authority. And that's the term that's used here of the bowls, the bowls which hold the light. That authority was given to you because you came from this stem. That's why. You'll never be a light in and of yourself, because all you are is a stand. But, because Christ is the light of the world, and he's placed himself inside of you, as long as he's inside of you, which is ever, you'll be a light. Then there's the knobs. Then there's the terms that haven't been used yet, but interesting terms, the term for knob. And these are the ornamental things that you'll see here and here. The term knob, for the way, is the term kaftor. Could you say kaftor? And at the moment I looked at it in the Hebrew, I went, well, that's a strange word, because I've seen that a whole bunch of times, but this isn't the first time, but it is the first time mentioned in this way, because of a group of people called the kaftorites. Now, maybe you've never heard of them. The kaftorites become the people that we know of as the Philistines. And they believe they came from an island. And the reason is the island was shaped like a wreath. A wreath that you would give to somebody in honor. Interesting. Because the term kaftor means wreath, like honor. And I go, huh. So there are these rings that would ultimately go around this like a wreath of honor. And I go, wait a minute. Let's see if I have this right. It starts with the promise of God from which then we come attached and rise up with him, are granted authority and then given honor? Doesn't that just sound like the life of a Christian? Finally, the last thing are the flowers. And I think this is interesting. Because this is also the first time this is listed. However, he makes even clear what kind of... And what kind are they? What kind of flower? What kind of boom? What kind of plant? Almonds. Interesting, because I've seen that term somewhere in the Torah. Oh, that's right, it's in Numbers 17. When people ask, well, who died and made you boss? Who do you think you are? And God says, well, I'll tell you, let's make it simple. Plant your dead sticks in the ground and let's see which one blossoms. And that's the one that I've clearly ordained. So every one of those guys and Aaron sticks their dead staff. I mean, Aaron's been walking around with that thing for more than 40 years. And he just takes this thing and just... Sticks in the ground with the rest of them. And then the next day they came up, and guess what there is? A field of sticks, except Aaron's. Aaron's didn't grow a lovely Gerber daisy. 
though that could have been cool. Or a sunflower, that could have been really cool. Could you imagine this giant towering sunflower? People go, whoa, when they ate from it. No, we don't read any of that. What we read is that the thing grew branches, grew leaves and buds, and produced almonds. I wonder if that was God's way of saying, oh, y'all are nuts. Well, (laughs) could be. But one thing's for sure, and please hear me on this. That when God starts talking about the difference between a bunch of people in the camp and those that he's clearly blessing, do you know what the difference is going to be? Listen to this, because we're almost done. A sower went to sow some seed. Now, the seed is not going to be different on any of the four different things, but there'll be four different soil types. So he throws on some, and the seed falls on the ground. It's just pavement, and ultimately the birds eat it up. It never really did anything but land. Okay. Then there's a second kind, and that that kind falls on rocky soil. Now, the rocky soil, because it isn't very deep, it sprouts up pretty quickly. It looks really good, but in the end of it all, it doesn't have the depth of earth, so when the sun comes, it scorches and it dies. It never produces any fruit. It just dies. Oh, then there's the third kind, but it grows amongst weeds. And as it grows amongst weeds, the weeds also grow. And so what happens is that the weeds ultimately take it over, choke it to death, so it never produces any fruit, but it dies. But then there's the fourth type. And when that seed is sown, it it blossoms, it grows, and it produces a fruit, 30, 60, and 100-fold. What did they all have in common? Seed fell on them. Now, of them, the first one, the seed never really sprouted. What did the other three have in common? The seed germinated. The seed grew. Well, what makes the one at the end that we, we all want to be part of different from the others? Was it that it grew? No. Was it that it produced leaves? No. Was it that it grew up? No. What's the difference? It bore fruit. That's the difference. Now, Jesus says you can't be a judge, but you should be a fruit inspector. He says bad trees don't produce good fruit, and good trees don't produce bad fruit. And then when you see a trail of destruction behind something, you might want to see why. The difference between Aaron and these guys was not that they had sticks. The difference was one was producing fruit. And can I say that when you are the light God called you to be, you're going to bear fruit. But here's the crazy thing. You can't squirt out fruit. You can't go, Ooh, a peach. It's not going to work. You could try. Here's the crazy part. You could get so busy trying to pop out fruit, you could be unfruitful. And you're like, I just, I just need to see people saved. Well, what are you doing? I'm just going to beat people till they get saved. Well, they're gonna do, they'll be thinking about death, at least, if nothing else. But if you are actually attached, like you're called to, to the oath of Christ, to the love of Jesus, and as you do, you're like, Lord, raise me up. And as you raise me up, Lord, I just want to blossom in you. And as I blossom in you, it says, He who is planted in the house of the Lord will blossom in the courts of our God, will flourish in the courts of our God. God will make that light shine in you, because I am not going to hide it under a bushel. I'm not going to hide it under my bed. I'm not going to hide it in a secret place. But I tell you what I want to do. Lord, I just want to shine. I want to radiate for you. Fruit's going to happen, baby. That's just the way it works. You don't have to force fruit. All you want to do is stay attached. And that's exactly what Jesus said in John 15 when he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You can't bear fruit by yourself. And he says, you can't buy fruit, you can't, sorry, bear fruit by programs. 
You've got to stay attached. Here's the beautiful thing. That's kind of like saying, you know, you're there by yourself. You've been married for a bunch of years, but now you've isolated yourself from your spouse, and you're like, I'm going to have a baby. And you're going to, I'm going to sit in this room by myself until I have a baby. And, of course, everyone else is going to chuckle and go, well, good luck with that. I just know it. I'm just, I didn't try harder. Try what harder? I'm just going to think baby thoughts. I'm going to pink, baby blue, pink, baby blue, pink, baby blue. Dummy, 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 dummy. And God's kind of looking going, yeah, dummy, 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 dummy. And I'm not trying to be crass, but it kind of takes a union for babies to, be, to happen. And Jesus said, I've come to you would bear much fruit, but I just need you attached. Not in any weird ways. Like you cling to me. It's going to happen. Just cling to me. Now look at, if I were to look at this thing, that's what an almond tree looks like. We lived in Chico for a little while, and one of the things I learned is Chico's full of those nut trees. They have these really cool things. They, like, they're these, these crazy machines, and they attach them to the base of it, and they turn them on, and it goes, and all the nuts just fall I'm like, that's the most violent thing I think I've ever seen in my life. It really does do that, too. It really does. And I realize when I look at it, I realize you see it and it starts like this and then these grow and then it grows a little higher and then these grow and it grows a little higher and then these grow. And as that ultimately it produces the nuts at the end of it all. And I realize, man, the Lord's planning our, this, this is our church, beloved. This is not our church. This is his church. Not just the people sitting in this room, but the people that call themselves and belong to Jesus Christ around this whole big planet of ours. This is it right here. And this was so important to the Jewish people that for a thousand years, this was the symbol of their Judaism. Not the star of David, the Mogan David. This was the symbol. Now look at it as we go to prayer. I'm almost on time. Let me read this text through you one more time. Look at this for a moment and ask God to work in your life this way. Make a lampstand of pure gold. A lampstand shall be of hammered work. Its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs, its flowers shall be of one piece. Six branches shall come out of its sides. Three branches of the lampstand on one side, three on the other. Three bowls will be made like almond blossoms on one branch, an ornamental knob and a flower. Three bowls will be made on the other side. And here we are in spring, and we're watching things blossom all around us, aren't we? This too, by the way. An ornamental knob and a flower. So also the six branches that come out. On the lampstand will be four bowls will be made, and then you see these things here as well, each with their ornamental knob and flower. It says, There shall be a knob under the first two branches, a knob under the same, a knob under the second two branches of the same, a knob under the third two branches of the same, according to the six branches that extend from the lampstand or from the shaft. Their knobs and their branches shall be of one piece. You are still in one piece. This is still attached to this. This is still attached to this because it's all one piece. Shall be of one hammered piece. And whether you like it or not, you're going to get hammered as are they. You shall make the seven lamps for it. They will arrange its lamps. It will give light in front of it. Everything I want a pure gold. The wick trimmers. Everything. And I want this to be roughly 35 kilos of pure gold. That's the only measurement we have on this. Hear me as we go to close. In the Gospel of John, chapter 8, a woman is caught in adultery, flat in the act of it. 
biblical law is that when a couple is caught in the act of adultery, you bring them both out and you stone them. The man's not there, and that's, of course, quite concerned, which just shows me the religious leaders were doing this as a setup. And they throw this woman who was caught in the act before Jesus in the temple grounds. Who knows if she's even clothed? And they say this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law says we should stone her. What do you say? Please hear me. This is what they knew about Jesus, that grace and truth came from him, not just either. They knew that he kept the law, so he couldn't go against it. But they also knew that he had a soft spot for the sinner. So they figured this was win-win. If he sided with the girl, well, if he sided with the girl, then he was a lawbreaker and he could be killed because he was going against the law. But if he sided with the law, then he wouldn't have a tender place for the girl, no mercy with her, and then the people would leave because they loved the fact that he was merciful. So he writes in the sand. He's already down on the ground and he writes in the sand as if he didn't hear them. And they continue to yell. And ultimately, Jesus stands up and he has a simple statement. I'll tell you what. Go ahead, throw the stones, as long as you're innocent. Whoever is without sin, go ahead and throw the stone. When it says from the oldest to the youngest, they drop their stones and walk away. By the end of the chapter, by the way, they'll pick them up again to throw them at him. And then Jesus turns to the woman and he says, Does anyone condemn you? No, no, sir. See, the only one that actually could condemn her was him, because he was the only one without the stone. Wouldn't that have been awful if at that moment Jesus picked up a stone and threw it at her? Wouldn't that have just been awful? Has anyone condemned you? No. Why do you? Bam! How do you like me now? Nothing like that. He says, well, neither do I. Go and sin no more. It's interesting. Then he turns to those religious leaders, which means they couldn't have gone far. And you know what he says? I'm the light of the world. That's when he said it the first of the two times. See, when the light of the world comes, it shows that the law requires us to ask for mercy. It's never going to make you right. It's going to show you're not. Then he heals a man born blind. You may never have had any eyeballs at all. And then he turns a second time and he says, I'm the light of the world. You see, what the law shows us is that we were born with the need. But my God today can set you free. He's here to make you pure. But once you have said yes to him, he's going to make you light. And you are going to be called to radiate. The only thing left is whether or not you are going to hide it. Because it doesn't say you'll cease to be it. It's just where you want to put it. But he says in regards to this that it's to give light to everything in front of it. Everything in front of it. That's your knitting club. That's your workplace. And you say, well, what do I have to do? Do I have to stand up on my cubicle and preach Jesus? How about if you just clung to Jesus and just said, I'm available and watch what he did? Because if you just stayed and prayed with him, you wouldn't freak out and thought you were disobedient because you were listening. At that point, the only thing left is for him to tell. All right, Lord, I'm available. Do with me as you wish. Because I know this. God's got more for this church than us sitting out and filling up pews. He's going to want us to be lights. And we've got some really fun things planned this summer. We've got days planned where what we'd like to do on some Saturdays is every one of us are going to grab our old Bibles. Not our phones, but the good old faithful. And we're going to go and take over an area. Split up into different areas and just read. Just read. Not even out loud. 
I want people in Camden to see us just in our Bibles. Could you imagine? People go, well, that's a scary place. That's a bright place. Some guys, like, they're all there, and they've got, like, Satan t-shirts on. It's like, where should we go? Let's go to Camden. Go, no, 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 no. That's a bright place, bro. Because everywhere I turned, somebody was reading their Bible. Could you imagine? But it starts with this. Have you accepted the gift of Jesus Christ? I'm going to give you that chance now. If you have accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, I'd like to say, have you gone public with it? Because this Saturday, you'll have the opportunity to come out of the closet and testify in water. But in all of that, I just want to challenge you. God's going to get you out of your secret place, off of your bed, and from under your basket. And he's going to start changing this world around us. And can I dare say, he already is. Look at you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your beautiful word. I thank you so much for what you've shown us in it. I am so excited to see where you're going to take it as we look at the tent next week. Oh, I'm so excited to see what's going to happen with that. But Lord, I just pray right now that you would right now give us more than just a, yeah, that's information. Let's just lock it as information. But Lord, today that we would actually be willing to be moved out from underneath our baskets, our bushels, our burdens. Lord, out from among, Lord, all of those things that would kind of tear us down, Lord, our our, our laziness, Lord, and the the beds we would lie on where we're so busy desperately trying to find (coughs) worldly comfort that we're not busy about your business. Lord, wake us up. Give us the energy we need, Lord. Remove from us our spiritual flab. And I pray today, Lord, that we could be set on fire to to genuinely praise you like you ordained. I pray today, Lord, that you would get us out from those secret places. And I don't mean like the place where we should be in prayer, but those secret things that we hide that don't belong to you at all, and that's why they're secret. Remove them, Lord, that everything be bare and open as you promised before you. And let us come out, Lord, and be used by you to be the lights you ordained today. Lord, that this place around us, that people would look at Camden and you would start a revolution. That people would look at London and go, well, now that's a bright place. So, Lord, I just commit that to you right now. And you know who in this room right now may have never said yes to you. But, Lord, you know who that is. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, inspire them right now. And if that's you right now, I'm going to pray a prayer and I ask you to listen. And if you agree at the end, I ask you to say, Amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let that prayer be my prayer. Let those words be my words. So be it in my life. And this is it. Hey, God, I admit to you, I'm not perfect. You know that. I know that. And I know that I have my own shame. I have my own guilt. I have my own failures. But you've never asked for me to come to you perfect. You've asked for me to come to you honest. And in that honesty, Lord, I lay before you myself, warts and failures and faults and all. And I, and I openly declare my need for your saving. But I do believe Jesus died on the cross so that all of my guilt could be punished. So that I could stand free and innocent before you. And in standing free and innocent before you, I declare you as my King. I declare you as my Lord. And I say, yes, have me now. I belong to you. I belong to you. Jesus has bought me at the cross. And now I'm free. I'm pure. I'm innocent. And I declare Jesus as my Savior. And as your word promised, 
He rose again on the third day. And so I declare Him as my risen Lord, the boss of my life, the one who has the right to pound me into whatever you want to make me the light you ordained. And if Jesus, if you are the light of the world and you've called me to be that light as you live in me, cause me to radiate brighter than I could possibly imagine. I read that you dwell in inapproachable light. I certainly know you have enough light for all of us. So Lord, in that now I pray, take me, make me yours completely, and then use me as I belong to you in Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.